Check the program. 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 Welcome to Check the Program, a physically distanced podcast run by a group of arts enthusiasts who saw desperate needs for arts coverage in Victoria and decided to do something about it. I'm Brianna Bach, uh, speaking to you from Stanch. I'm John Threlfall in Deepest Fernwood. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe in Quadra Village. And I'm Taiwo uh, from Saanich, uh, a special guest on the program today. And today we're speaking with Taiwo Afalabi, the manager of Artistic and Community Connections for the Belfry Theatre. We're also going to be talking about what we've seen, including Atomic Vaudeville's new virtual vaudeville cabaret and Pacific Opera Victoria's Flight of the Hummingbird, and what's coming up, including some venues opening up. Yeah, and talking about things, seeing things in person, uh, it's clear that what's going to be happening, if anything, over the course of the summer, it's going to be outdoors. It's going to be in our own uh, backyard environments. Um, and it's going to really bring home that sense of place that we have here in the city. And I think uh, that's one of the advantages to Victoria, whether it's something like the Shakespeare Fest, which is not happening this summer, but it usually happens in that beautiful outdoor venue, uh, or something like... Um, uh, theater scams, Scampede, which happens along the gorge. So whatever does end up happening this year, I think it'll really bring home that sense of place. So with that in mind, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories, the Lekwungen and Coast Salish speaking peoples, including what is now the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the pri privilege to live, work, and create on these lands. And much of the art we're discussing has also been created and performed here. So first off tonight, we're going to talk to uh, Taiwo Afalabi. Taiwo, you're the Belfry's Artistic and Community Liaison, a uh, relatively new position for you. And then you're just in the process of organizing an upcoming meeting for members of the Indigenous, Black, and People of Color community, uh, local artists and cultural administrators. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. Um, so just to, uh, so I'm the artistic, or I used to be the artistic and community liaison at the Belfry, but now I'm I'm the managing the manager of community and artistic connections. Um, it's 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 okay. um, and then we can talk more about that. Um, but what we're what we're really doing um, the the 11th of June is the it's called the I, uh, IBPOC uh, Zoom meeting for artists um, and cultural administrators who identify as indigenous, black and people of color. And they really the goal is really to create a space where we want to have really a courageous conversation to really talk about key issues in cultural ecology in Victoria and on the island. And I think it's really high time we do that because of first uh, um, of what is happening right now. But beyond that is that we've actually been planning this, uh, my, uh, Micah Shamada and I, we've been planning this uh, since April. Um, so it's kind of very surreal that it's kind of just colliding with what is happening right now. And for us, what's really critical is that I think that we need to really ask ourselves some questions in terms of how is the system, you know, really, is it really helping in any way, you know, artists of color or artists that, are, you know, that self-identify as indigenous, black or, or people of color. Uh, if it is, then uh, what are those systems, what are those structures that are in place that are helping them and what are those things that are not in place that are, that are not helping them? So we're kind of really interested in creating that space where we really want to really dig deep and ask ourselves honest, um, honest questions and kind of move forward with that. And we see that we can't have that conversation without having partners. So we kind of reach out to community partners here, magazine, 
uh, Intercultural Association of Greater Victoria and First People's Cultural Council so that we can all come together and, and form a team to really be able to tease out those things. So I'm really kind of looking forward to that. Do you, do you have a sense yet of um, how many people are going to be attending or what organizations they might be representing? Yes, so right now we, we have 45 people have registered. Uh, and the, my sense is that it might get to 60 before, before we start tomorrow. Um, we have independent artists. We have curators from Rhea BC Museum, from Art Gallery. We are from Pacific Opera. We are from uh, First People Cultural Council. We have independent artists. We have uh, visual artists, performers. We, it's kind of a whole, you know, uh, spectrum of you know of artists that kind of identify with that community uh, which I think it's really very important and it's really a good sign that people are really ready to engage. That's great. Yeah. Uh, have you gotten a sense uh, as people are contacting you that it's uh, you know it's one of these conversations they're they're eager to have it's about time like let's get going on this because I know open space has been doing stuff for the last couple of years trying to build a sense of community and trying to build a sense of urgency in the community about the time for change and the need for change. Yes, absolutely. And I, uh, and, and I actually, uh, the DG of uh, the ED of open space is coming, uh, with primary colors as primary color is one of our, of our partners for this, for this meeting too. Uh, I wouldn't, I think that people are very, very keen on having that conversation. Um, and I think that that's why we have that kind of number of people wanting to be part of it. We've had to tell some people no, because we feel that that space should be for artists and cultural administrators that identify with that public, with that community. Um, again, we just we don't want to do this tokenistic gathering of oh, I'm there. We know, let's have it. No, we really want to have it in a very in a very genuine way. Uh, and so, yes, I think that people are really ready to engage. <laughs> um, yeah, so let let's see what let's let's see what that, let's see what that looks like. And again, maybe the other thing to kind of look 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 at is how we kind of you know set it up we don't really we're not going there with this you know expert heart saying oh this is what we want to do this is how you should do it the goal is to set up that space to have that conversation and we know and as i was talking to our partners we know a lot of the conversations that have been going on in victoria before now so we're not kind of doing this out of like getting you know we're not just doing this on our own we know that there's been series and series of conversations already so this is getting into that and really thinking in terms of practical steps to decolonizing the arts in victoria because uh, i think we've had a lot of conversations around it like we even for me that I, I i arrived victoria in 2015 i've been to series of them and i'm thinking so what i what's missing right now is that practical step you know what we need to start thinking about that we need to start doing the actions that we need to start taking. And those are some of the things that we're expecting tomorrow where we're going to be really talking about those things in concrete terms. Uh, and part of the other things that we kind of put in place is we have a dedicated um, note taker, a scribe, that will kind of gather all of the things, kind of document what we're going to be talking about. And then after that, um, we're going to be sending out a survey to participants. Then we're going to come out with uh, a report to actually share with community to say, hey, we had this conversation. This is the step we want to take. And who knows, maybe tomorrow's conversation, we, the meeting will move us into another initiative and things like that. But yeah, so I think people are ready to have the conversation. And, and I think it's time we take the, the right step, to be honest, sure. uh, in, 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 in this sense. I was just wondering, like, how do you feel like recent events may have changed the conversation that you might have had if you'd had this event, say, three weeks ago? 
Um, I, I, I don't think it, it's, it's, I don't think it's gonna it's change it in any way, uh, Amanda. I think it's kind of amplified because I think for me, as a person of color, I'm a black person myself, right? Uh, an artist that that has worked in different spaces with different people. I'm bringing I'm the facilitator, so I'm bringing that to the table already. But what what has happened in the past two weeks is that it's kind of just amplified that in a you know in another astronomical sense where I don't even have to talk about myself again, right? It's all over the place, so. I think that that event has kind of amplified it. And I think that it sort of put that urgency, which, which goes back to what, you know, the question John was asking me. I think it, it kind of now put that urgency into people to say, yes, I think that we need to have this conversation and we need to direct it towards the right steps now, concrete steps. So, um, yeah, and, and you know when 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 all of this did happen, you know Michael and I were just saying, "Wow, we didn't even know this is going to happen." Because, like I said, we started planning this since the end of April. So when this happened, like, yeah, it seems like we're on the right track. Because for me, these are some of the key things I wanted us to, you know, I wanted us to start talking about at the Belfry and even within the culture, you know, sector in Victoria. Um, and and so I'm I'm really kind of excited for that. You, just thinking about practical steps, and you said you've been here for five years now. Um, have you seen in that five-year period, have you seen practical steps being taken? Or, uh, you know, for you as an artist of color, has it been a frustrating journey? Um, I think yes and no. Uh, I would say, I would say, first of all, I kind of appreciate if I mean, I acknowledge my place of privilege. Because I, I did come into Canada as a, you know as a graduate student and you know I'm done with my PhD and and I would say that there are many things that I have access to that many other artists do not uh, and so for me um, in that sense uh, my reality is very you know is very very subjective but speaking in terms of Victoria I think that things are changing gradually. I wanted to change more, you know, <laughs> it's kind of very slow for me, you know? Sure. Um, so, I mean, for example, would be like the, it's really, you know, before, before I came to, even in 2015, I don't think the Belfry Theater had um, uh, an indigenous, indigenous cultural advisor or sure. a person or, or a black person on their team. Uh, and and, and I, I mean, I'm not 100% familiar with, you know, the other art culture organizations in Victoria, but I think that the, the number of, you know, the number of uh, artists or cultural administrators that identify within that, culture, that community of IBPOC, I think it's really very small, to be honest. And I think that even looking in terms of programming of the play that is put on stage, I don't know how many of them are really, really speaking to the diversity of the people in Victoria and on the island. And so for me, those are, those are really critical things that I'm thinking when we start programming and you know, as, as artistic directors or managers and all of that, we need to start having those things and say, well, how can I bring you know, stories that are not from here uh, but that cannot speak to someone from, you know, from, from, from South Korea or someone, really, you know, of, of different heritage and culture. How can we bring that on stage? Because if we keep, you know, doing Shakespeare, or keep, and, and by no means, I, I love Shakespeare. I'm just, <laughs> sorry, I used that as an example. I yeah. love Shakespeare. <laughs> anyway, but if we, my point is, if we keep doing a single narrative, that's when we fall into that danger of single story. And I think for me, that's a practical step that I think that artists and 
arts organizations and um, culture, you know, uh, spaces in Victoria and the island need to start thinking about. Because I think that we're running into that era already. When you're programming just a particular kind of narrative from a particular playwright, from a particular culture, over and over and over again. Come on, you're running to that danger already because we have the Filipinos, we have the Chinese, we have the Indo-Canadian, we have the African-American, we have the African-Canadian, you know, we have the indigenous. So why not let's kind of open up the space to actually accommodate programming that's kind of very inclusive in that sense, right? So, and I think that's why we realized that in having this conversation, we need to bring those or other organizations that work directly with this group. So that's why we were working with Here Magazine and ICA, because we know that that's, that's their community. They, they reach out to them, they know who they are. So, so I think for me, those are some of the changes that I think that I need to, I want to see more of that. Um, I, I do acknowledge that, like I said, changes are happening gradually, but I think I want more, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe that's the Oliver Twist part of me anyway, but I want more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's time for more. Uh, we've seen more diversity on stages in the last, you know, I'd say uh, the last 10 years, definitely, definitely the last five years, we've seen a lot more diversity on stage. And when it comes to the creatives behind the shows, um, it's, it's rare we see that diversity cross over into the audience, though, until there's a specific show program for the people you're talking about. I'm thinking like when Lindsay Delron did her indigenous showcases at the Belfry, um, there were people in that theater that had never been in that theater before. And they were really loving having shows that spoke to them. Uh, I'm thinking about Dennis Cooper when he did his show down at the uh, Filipino Cultural Center. You know, suddenly there's a body of people there watching theater in town that I don't see at theaters across the city. Um, when we have international touring shows come into the fringe, I've seen, like you say, Korean companies, Japanese companies, and suddenly the audience is full of people who are not showing up to the regular shows that yeah. uh, a lot of organizations uh, program. Yeah, but John, that's the, that's, well, because the reason for that is it boils down to programming. Um, and, and, and I can say programming 100%, um, because what we program on our stage determines who is part of the show, who comes for the show. Uh, back in Nigeria, I have my own organi uh, theater company. And the key thing that we constantly keep saying is that the kind of plays you put on stage, the kind of program, the things you put on stage will determine the audience that will come and see it. So if you put a, a play on stage that kind of speaks to me, to where I'm coming from, to my experience, I'm more likely to come see it. So we just, um, <clears throat> so an example would be, um, uh, we just, uh, before, COVID-19, uh, we, you know, we started uh, Spark Festival. And, and I tried, there's a show during Spark Festival. I'm trying to remember that now. My memory is, it's really, oh, the, the story of Yukon. I think it's the Yukon story. Yeah, Busted oh, Up. Yeah. Busted Up, thank you. That's the I'm story. I'm from yeah, the Yukon, yeah. Oh my goodness. You need to see, <laughs> you need to see folks in the audience. You need to see the demography of the audience. And, and I think that, that, and that's why for me, programming is just very key. We had Bang Bang. We had, and I'm speaking for the Belfry now, we had Batman, we have the children last uh, season. And with each um, piece that we put on stage, you just realize that a whole different set of audience just can come to it. The Ministry of Grace was totally different, right? Um, we had every brilliant thing, you know? So it's, it's, programming is very key. And I think that that's really what, that's really what shapes the conversation. So um, the other thing is, I think that 
the definition of diversity needs to be very clarified. Um, I think that what we define as diverse and how to go about it is really different from, uh, it's different from one person to another. Um, so for example, Bang Bang as a story that talks about, you know, misrepresentation, police brutality and all of that. To one person, we'll see, oh, that's a diverse, you know, piece. He's talking about a particular culture and all of that. But for me, I might be thinking, no, 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 no. I want a, a more positive story that kind of connect to my heritage or uh, a Jewish, uh, you know, um, person that sees a Jewish character in that play might say, you know what? No, I don't want to be represented like though I was represented well, you know? So I think that we kind of need to look into that. And those, those things are very critical to, to, to the idea of diversity on stage, who is behind the stage, who is, you know, who is the director, who is the stage manager, who is the costumer, who is the lighting direct, you know, those are critical um, conversations that I think that, because I think when I see something on stage, even at my home, I see people that look like me on stage, for me, my concept of diversity is beyond that. It's not just about the fact that I'm just seeing people that look like me, then it's diverse. No, I need to look at the nitty-gritty of that story. I need to look at who are there, whose story is being told, who is telling the story, why are they telling the story? Because those are very critical things, right? That are very that that are that are very important to the conversation. So I think that um I'm really excited that these conversations are happening already in Victoria and like you said, we're seeing you know a lot of diversity on stage, but but I think we need to see more for sure. I think that's a really key point, Taiwo. Like looking yeah. at who, not just the people on the stage, but the people yeah. behind it. And um, right. and Ministry of Grace was a great example of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Because because so the Ministry of Grace are uh, uh, written by Tara Began. Um, an indigenous uh, play, uh, playwright. Um, uh, the 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 uh, the set and the lighting the director uh, Andy Moreau, uh, Andy an Moreau. indigenous yeah Andy yes. uh, Andy Moreau yeah an indigenous uh, fantastic uh, um, um, creator. Uh, uh, the costumier uh, Jeff, uh, an indigenous uh, uh, costumier uh, designer, um, and you, you just kind of you you see the entire setup. You know that. The story is not just, we're not just interested in bringing people just, oh, just to show that, oh, we're diverse on stage. No, when we go into the integrity of the story to the people behind the set, behind the stage, we realize that that's diversity in its true sense. So for me, I want to start seeing things like that, not just pick a piece because, oh, it speaks about, you know, the Indo-Canadian people. And then I see, you know, somebody that looked like that on stage and like, oh yeah, we are diverse. No, 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 no. That's not, <laughs> again, again, that might, again, I'm like I'm saying, this is my own subjective opinion, sure. but I feel that those are key things that speak to the heart of what it means to be included and be excluded. And that's what, those are key things that speak to uh, the tokenistic approach to some of these things that we talk about. So, and for me, when I talk to organizations or I consult for them, I keep saying, these are key things we need to start looking at. We don't just want to put someone at the door that look like, you know, a Chinese, an Asian person or an African person. But when it comes to everything that happened behind, they don't have a voice, right? Anyway, I'm just, I don't want to go off tangent, but those are, for me, those are the connection, you know, because I think that these things are really, really connected. And I think that, um, I think the world is not, I think we need to do a better job of, of understanding those, those key issues and those key terms and how 
how they play out in terms of who says what, who says and all of that, who has the power, who has the voice in the room. You know? yeah. I was just, I was just going to agree. I, I think that was the strength of the Ministry of Grace and why it had such an impact for the audience, whether yeah. they knew it or not, was because it was that full package, right? It was That's there. right. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned at the top of the show that your title had changed and yes. uh, that the, um, the Belfries uh, announced like their Q&A with Gregor Craigie to Michael and Ivan had talked about expanding your and the Indigenous cultural liaison's re- role at the Belfry and how important that was. Do you, is, that, is that why your title changed and, and how is that looking, what is that going to look like? Uh, well, I, I think that, uh, I think it did change for some couple of reasons is that I think what I'm doing at the, what I'm doing at the Belfry is um, really artistic and community connections um, uh, in that really looking and thinking of different ways to kind of get Belfry to where we're hoping to get to, which is really make it very uh, diverse, but not just in terms of diversity of patrons and all of that, but really engaging with our community. Uh, and, and I think there's an ongoing conversation too, in terms of what, what that means with, you know, with indigenous programming that we have and, and with uh, the indigenous uh, cultural advisor that we have. Because I think that we, the same way we want people to come into the building, the same way we want to go out into community. And I think that those are really kind of very important. So what Michael and I, we've done in the past few months, and I think he mentioned this during um, um, the, the, the live stream conversation he had with Ivan and Gregor, was that we kind of did like a systemic, you know, we did a system um, evaluation of all that we've been doing at the Belfry in terms of our programming, in terms of our initiatives, both in community and artistic. And we sort of realized that we, We've, been, we've had series and, you know, pockets of programs all, you know, in different spaces. And we realized that the community, I mean, the island, Victoria, and extension, the other parts, uh, it's diverse. That's the truth. But one thing that we think is really important is that bringing those pockets of diverse groups together to start having critical conversations that are important to shifting the cultural ecology of, of the island. And so, and, and we started reaching, looking at what are the systems in place, what are the organizations that we are working with already that, or that we think we need to reach out to so that we can actually foreground all of the things that we're doing. We identify, for example, in education sector, uh, we, we, we work with UVIC, we work, we work with CCPA, you know, we, are, we work with I, ICA, you know, Here Magazine, you know, Native Friendship Center, you know, different and different arts in, um, um, in the, in independent artists and all of that. So I think that um, what I'm doing as when I was the artistic and community liaison to what I'm doing now as um, the manager of community and artistic connections is really managing programs and I think managing people, managing those relationships. Because I think that at the end of the day, that's what is boils down too, is that it's about relationship. It's about using you know, using theater in our own context, performance, to actually build a relationship that is very, that is true to what we want, the future we want in our community. So I think that I'll be managing the program for sure, but beyond that is really managing relationship, initiatives, really thinking and rethinking strategies and how to go about things, of course, in connection to, you know, in consultation with, with Michael and, and Ivan, for sure. 
I, I admire the fact that you're going ahead with this now because it's uh, obviously an awkward time for people to be gathering and meeting. Uh, you've had uh, a couple of frustrations this spring. You were bringing in uh, Botswana playwright Donald Molosi as part of the Sparkfest and that got shut down. And you were also organizing um, a theatrical and applied theater piece, I believe, for uh, uh, Black History Month down at the BC Legislature and that got shut down as well. So I admire your persistence in going ahead with these things. Oh my God. Um, yeah, yes. Um, well, <clears throat> I, I, I think I have three, three shows this year already that was kind of shut down because of what had happened. Um, but I think that it just kind of, you know, we, we have to just get back up and just be resilient. We just need to understand the vision that we have for our community, our society, and just kind of move on with it. That's the, that's the reality. I, I think that what has happened to me this year, um, it, it, you know, everyone kind of have their own share in different ways. You know, it was really pain me that I didn't get to do the Botswana piece because, you know, last year I did a piece in about Nigeria and it was it was well received. So this year I literally went out of my way to like, because I want to introduce, for me, those are small steps that I've been talking about. Those are small steps to introduce people on the, you know, in our society, in our community here to other kinds of plays, other kind of playwright, other kind of performance traditions and all of that. So when I, you know, reached out to uh, uh, Donald Molosi, who is the playwright, he's become, he's a, he's a friend of mine now. And, you know, was really excited. In fact, he actually, he was planning to come here. You know, we were working for his visa and all of that. Um, so everything just got shut down. And um, yeah, so, um, but we, like I said, we just, we just need to be resilient and kind of just get back up and just keep doing what we're doing um, because, it is just what we need to do. We can't just afford, you know, the whatever the word we're going through right now, just to kind of let us to for that to to make us lose lose the sight of the goal ahead. And 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 for me, each day I, I'm thinking about like, do I want to do this again? You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> I think I just want you know my generation or the generation that is coming behind me to know that. We did try what we can, you know, and I don't know what change will mean for them, you know, and all of that. But we just want them. We, we want. We want to do something better than what it is now. What we have right now is just very shady. Trust me. I just. It's, I'm just thinking. Come on, it shouldn't be like this, you know. It shouldn't be like this. And and so I think those are things that kind of fill my passion to like. Let's do this, you know, um, in meaningful ways and and of course in respectful ways and understanding. The times that we cannot just do, we just need to shut down like we did, right? So, yeah, but but, but it's kind of exciting. <laughs> well, <it's great. laughs> like you say, change has got to it's got to happen, and it should happen now. Yeah. Uh, if you look historically at Victoria in the late '60s, early '70s, there were a lot of people who were making change culturally in the city because they could, and there was that atmosphere of change that was out there. Mm. And then I think it settled down into a groove, and now it's time for that change again. So. Mm. Super. Well, the, the meeting you're going to be having, uh, that's going to happen uh, by the time this episode airs. It will already have happened. So it'll be fascinating to hear what comes out of that and what the next step and what the practical steps are going to be, like you said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm happy to come back. If, I mean, again, I'm not pushing myself now. Uh, <laughs> I'm not giving myself, you know, I'm happy to come back and talk about it. But we're hoping that uh, we'll make um, the report really available and and when, when we're kind of setting this up with our partners, I see here magazine, Primary Colors and, and uh, First People's Cultural Council, we did say that we don't really have an agenda. We just want to create that space 
for that conversation to happen. Um, and so what comes out of it, trust me, I have no idea what's going to come out of it. And I think for me, again, I, I kind of just want to walk outside of the colonial framework of this is the objective. This is the next outline of action. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not 100% saying it's not okay. I feel that there are times that we need that. There are times that we do not need it. I think in times like this, that's not what we need. What we need right now is to create that space to say, what do we really want to, you know, how do we want to proceed? What are the steps that you think that we can do or that you think that we need to create to make it happen? Uh, or that we can just, if you just not to step back. So we, we kind of made a decision that none of the EDs are attending this meeting, for example, and artistic directors are not attending because we just want to, uh, I mean, in terms of um, the, the partners, I mean, we just want that space for mm -hmm. that community. So uh, I, I really look forward to what's going to happen, uh, what we come out with, but we're going to document it and we're going to make it available. Um, and hopefully we reach out to um, other um, arts and culture organizations in, in Victoria and, and on the island and in, 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 what, in terms of moving forward with that. Excellent, excellent. Tywa Afalabi, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, John. And thank you, Amanda. Okay. Bye. Bye. Uh, so now what, what we've seen, is that where we're going? You're going to talk about uh, Hummingbird? You want to start with that? Yeah, sure. Watching, I don't know, how about, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, t I'm tired of sitting in front of my computer and watching stuff. Um, well, it's it's kind same. of frustrating, Brianna. I don't know how you feel about this, but it's kind of frustrating to me. Like I work all day in front of a computer. Yeah. When I want to relax, uh, you know, I don't really want to sit in front of a computer. Yeah. So I I know I feel like it seems like as a group we've been slowing down on watching stuff. I think for that very reason. Um, thinking about getting some like computer glasses for the eye strain. Oh yeah, good call. But, although the computer sunglasses. But, you know, it's one of the beautiful things about uh, going to the arts in general is that you're going to see something, whether it's an opening or a show or a concert or whatever. But then you're seeing people, you're seeing the community at the same time. You're visiting these beautiful venues. You're having conversations with people. You're making connections. A lot of what Taiwo was talking about, like that all happens as part of the art scene. And uh, for the most part, that doesn't really happen when I'm sitting and watching a show on Zoom. Yeah, I mean, that being said, I did watch a couple things uh, over the last little while. I mean, I guess I, I took last uh, last podcast off, so I had a bit of catching up to do. Um, one, one thing that I checked out with my four-year-old uh, was Pacific Opera's, uh, Pacific Opera Victoria's Flight of the Hummingbird. Uh, so this was a, an opera aimed at children that they had a big sold out um, bunch of shows planned for, but of course COVID happened. It's based on an indigenous parable from the Quechuan people of South America, but this the story actually traveled uh, through pre-contact trade routes to become well-known within Haida culture, so that's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's uh, it's influenced by a graphic novel written by uh, Haida artist Michael Nicole Yagulanis, and uh, Music was by Maxime Goulet, uh, libretto and design. So uh, Michael did the libretto and design and Barry Gilson and Glynis Lation directed it. Um, and it was a co-commission from POV and Vancouver Opera. So um, they did, so they recorded the, um, a, a performance of it. And it's just a little uh, four person cast and uh, just a little, I think there were two musicians and it's a really sweet little opera. 
and uh, I quite enjoyed it. My four-year-old loved it. Um, and I, I thought that um, maybe she would have a hard time with it because she's only four. And she sometimes had a, a hard time hearing or understanding what the singing was. She had to get me to explain it to her, but she quite enjoyed it. Really beautiful, beautiful costumes. And, and it's a very pretty simple story. Um, the, the only thing that was kind of weird about it is it looks like it's shot in like a industrial basement of some kind like it's got these <laughs> whoops yeah I was you know it opens up and I'm half expecting them to have shot it on the stage somewhere but they I guess they're you know it's weird times they're working with what they've got right yeah um but it, I quite recommend checking it out and um and uh, they have some like videos and other resources that you can check out to go with it some other educational resources so cool. uh where do you where 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 can you find it? Uh, you just go to Pacific Opera's website. There's a link right on their main site, and there they have the uh, YouTube videos links link there. So certainly, the look of it is pretty fantastic. The costumes, the set. Uh, obviously, it was designed for touring. Uh, you know, with the set pieces as opposed to you know a huge installed set. Uh, I it, it really does look like uh, Michael Nicola Yagalanis's work. If you've read any of his uh, Haida manga, mm -hmm. uh, it really does look like his artwork all the way around. And it's pretty neat to see that brought to life cool. on the stage, uh, you know, seeing in that three-dimensional fashion. And it is really is a shame, uh, that it didn't get to tour and well, the kids didn't get exposed to this because I think it would have been one of those, uh, breakthrough shows that would really have brought opera to a, to a new community, to a new people. You know? Yeah. I mean, that being said, we'll probably watch it again. Like the nice yeah. thing about the the video is that we can watch it more than once because my daughter really enjoyed it. Like it's 45 minutes long. She sat through the whole thing. And um, yeah, so I think we'll probably, we'll probably, it'll probably be a repeat watch in our house, which is the nice thing about being able to stream it. Like, yes, it would have been way better to go and sit and watch it. But I, the one advantage is that we can watch it more than once now it is beautiful like and the set is simple but it's uh there are some really neat functional things in in the set too like there's a scene where well i don't i don't do i spoil the opera for you i don't know <laughs> uh there's like, dies. yeah well no there's no hummingbird does not die it's a children's <laughs> opera John. but there's a fire scene there's so there's a forest fire and so there's like these tree pieces and then they have you know the just a layer of them comes down and so the trees change color and there's a uh, set piece that spins around and they, they utilize different just it's just like a disc and there's just stuff on the other sides but there's just like different design elements on it and it's, it's great I, I, if you have a kid at home and you're or even if you don't like I think it's a neat uh, just a really neat little piece so I highly recommend checking it out it's on Pacific Opera Victoria's website and yeah if you can get past the the setting like the the basement part <laughs> uh if you can kind of look past that it's it's great like it's really worth definitely worth watching we're looking past all sorts of things yeah. these days I mean yeah I mean if you like if it's the lighting and sound and everything is great you know, it's not suffering from a lot of the technical problems that we're, we're dealing with and other uh, uh, streams and stuff. So, yeah. Well, even you, then, I think uh, people are a lot more forgiving of that kind of stuff nowadays, at least. Yeah, agreed. And you also saw the Atomic Vaudeville, the new Atomic Vaudeville episode? Yeah, I did. I watched uh, Virtual Vaudeville um, number two, Relax, Everything is Out of Control. <laughs> um, I have to say I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. Um, it's two hours long, so it was it was a bit long. 
Um, I felt like the through fair that they had for it wasn't quite as strong as the the first one. I really liked the kind of like the virus, well, the, the just the um, the Kelly Kelly Hobson and her son as the like kind of anchors for the first one was really strong. The the um, they they kind of played it up as this because it's their fiftieth anniversary show, and so they kind of had it as this like kind of look back at the fiftieth anniversary of Vaudeville. So there were some old faces in there that you hadn't seen in a while, which was cool. But then they had this uh, kind of like fake history of Vaudeville thing that was sort of funny, but it, I I felt like it got old after a while. Um, that being said, there were some you know like any Vaudeville, there were some great sketches in there. Um, the the reintroduction of the the cougar douche couple uh <laughs> a classic uh classic sketch um yeah i, I see morgan cranny was back with his russian stand-up comic yes yes he did he did uh he did that that was great um and there were a couple there were a few really good sketches but um it, i didn't like it as as much as i liked the first one it was still it was still worth watching um, one thing that I really uh, found interesting about it was that they had uh, they featured a lot of local businesses in it. Um, just they obviously contacted businesses downtown that were open and got them to do like a 20 second little ad just talking about yes we're open come check us out this is what we have. And I found that interesting in that like obviously they're just trying to figure out how to work in this new medium and how do you um, try and generate revenue and support your community, that local business community and that kind of thing. So that was an interesting aspect of it. Um, but they were sincere commercials? Like they weren't uh, satires? Oh, some of, kind of satires, some of them were silly. Like right. there were the Ditch there Records were, one, yeah. there was like a funny one in there. and some, But some of them were sincere. I think it depended on the person or how they wanted to approach it. Yeah, um, yeah so it was, yeah. So that was interesting. But yeah, it was, it was, it was okay. I, I yeah. just felt like it was a little too long. Like two yeah. hours was long. Yeah. But, I guess um, yeah. You probably figure people aren't going to watch it all at once. They'll watch it in pieces and uh, well, well, it over until the next one. That being, it's interesting that you say that because they were kind of encouraging people to gather and watch it. Like they had, so for the first screening, they had a little kind of like drive in to do yeah. it. And they had said, you know, we have a, copy of the movie does it you know we'll lend it out to you if anyone wants to like so i think they are trying to do some community building around it because it's the anniversary show that kind of thing so mm. yeah so that was kind of interesting so because yeah i mean 15 years is a pretty big accomplishment and uh, it was cool to see some familiar faces in there that i hadn't seen in a while yeah, um, like justin carter popped on and from toronto oh, and did a yeah. little little bit and uh you know like in a few other folks that uh maybe hadn't seen in a while so yeah it was it was it was decent but yeah i did i felt like the first one was just really strong compared to well like the it first was, one was very timely and when it came out it was an yeah. affirmation that things were going to continue so. yeah and it was definitely like less like that i mean yeah it was more about the anniversary and so it just felt a little bit different not that that's bad it's just no, no, yeah no. so in comparison, would you say like the sort of like the connected through line was a little thin in comparison to the first yeah, one? Yeah, I think so. I felt like it was stronger in the first one for sure. Mm. Um, I, maybe it just resonated with me a bit more. And yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. It just didn't, I didn't connect with it as much as I did with the first one. 
Because I think for a lot of the reasons we talked about when we interviewed Britt um, on the show, like we were just all going through that collective experience and it was very on the, on the pulse of that. And sure. this one was just, just uh, wasn't, it was a different thing. There were bits of that in it. Like there were references to, to that, but it wasn't the driving force behind it. So. Right. Well, at least they're doing something that's good. And yeah, it's great to see. We are starting to see some things open up again um, with the shift in rules and the relaxation in um, certain areas of gatherings. We're seeing some uh, some of the galleries are opening up. The Art Gallery of Greater Victoria is already open. Uh, the Royal BC Museum is opening soon. Uh, Legacy Gallery is opening up again downtown. The Victoria Arts Council Gallery is opening up again downtown. Um, Gage Galleries in Oak Bay, they got some attention over the last couple of months because they've been doing a series of weekly online gallery exhibits. And now they're shifting that at the end of June to a short run of an actual physical exhibit. So they're curating some of those uh, over, I think it's over 300 pieces that were submitted online. And they're selecting 50 of those to do a physical exhibit at the Gage Gallery in Oak Bay. So we're starting to see some things come back to, uh, a sense of normalcy, I guess, even though they'll all be fairly limited, you know, in what you can do and how many people can do it. Yeah, I went and checked out the AGGV a couple of weeks ago and uh, it was very quiet and, you know, it's just a pretty basic show of their collection and some recent acquisitions and some contemporary pottery. But it was, you know, we went on, my daughter and I went on a Wednesday afternoon and it was a nice way to spend a bit of time. So, uh, you know, and it's free right now. Yeah. So they're, they're free until early July. So, and I know legacy, there are two shows where there are two planned spring exhibits. They just delayed them slightly and now they're opening them again. And they've, uh, they of course have physical distancing in place. So only 10 people in the gallery at the time, uh, they've changed how the gallery works so that you don't have to touch any doors. You can just walk through, they have arrows on the floor as well. So I think we're just going to see a change in things all the way around. Yeah, and uh, we're seeing some movie theaters open too. Yeah, which is interesting because I figured it was going to be all drive-ins all summer. We've already had that one set of drive-ins up at UVic. Uh, there's the one up in Duncan. There's another one planned for Victoria shortly. Uh, Victoria Film Festival was talking about doing a drive-in as well. But now you're saying the Vic is open. Yeah, the Vic's opening. Uh, the Vic Theater is opening. They're going to have um, you pre-order your concession. It's waiting for you in your assigned seat. There's an ass oh. yeah. There's an assigned entrance and exit and um i got an email from a random theater in duncan that i have no idea how i got on their email list but apparently they are opening up too oh, and oh. and um so my question is if a movie theater can open up why can't another type of theater like what's the like i get that it's probably not financially viable for a theater to open uh like a you know a, a performance theater but like why does the government get to make that call and not? I think that's one of the things we're going to be seeing some shifts in happening. Some of these uh, arts advocacy groups are going to be stepping forward and saying, well, you know, I get it economically. A movie theater can open up for 50 people and they can show the same movie six times a day, five, six times a day, and they can make some money that way. Um, obviously, that's not going to work for a live cultural performance. But, you know, if you're doing a solo show and you've got a space like the Intrepid Theater Club, where you can have a small house of, you know, 30, 40 people, plus your technician and your performer, um, why not? Why not do that? I don't know. I'm hoping that's going to change. Yeah, or like, or you could use those spaces for something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember when, like, the lockdown first happened, 
and, and I tried to go see the children's hour, but they said like, no, we're shutting down. Um, and even though it didn't cap out at the crowd limit, which I think at the time was 250, not 500. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Or something like that. But it saying was shifting like, by the hour back then. Yeah, but they were like just under it, but they were shut down anyway because of not just the audience, but the cast and the crew, concessions, um, ticket booths, that kind of thing. So maybe that's a factor in it. Because sure I think you need less people to run a movie theater yeah. in comparison to like a stage. Yep. Yeah. And I think it totally depends on the space. You know, talking McPherson Theater or the Royal Theater is very different than if you're talking about the Belfry Studio or in the Trev Theater Club. Like those are mm -hmm. very theater scam space. Those are very small spaces. Um, but I, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Maybe that'll be a future episode. We'll bring somebody in to talk about that. Yeah. I just felt like it was a weird line to draw. Like, yeah. why not draw the line on the space and not the type of art? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that. That's well, and similarly, like live music is another one that's taking a hit all over the place. But um, is it Oliver Swain who's starting up the outdoor concert series? Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. So um, that's this coming weekend, the uh, 14th, I guess, to 16th. He's got a series of. Um, socially distanced concerts that he's throwing. Yeah, Oliver Swain, longtime uh, musician in town. He's doing a series of physically distanced outdoor concerts, uh, Corona conscious concerts and events. So he's saying this will be the first live performance in the CRD since March. And that's great. So it looks like, yeah, this weekend coming up, he's got some and um, he's going to limit it to 35 guests and uh, it's going to be like one of the uh, the old-fashioned things, like the old-fashioned raves, where you get sent the information of what the venue is shortly before the concert, which is kind of great. And then you uh, you show up, uh, bring your own blankets and low chairs for festival seating, and you watch a concert outdoors, which is a lovely idea and very Victoria as well. It's It sounds great. And yeah, I just like that he'll just do like two seatings a day, small shows, 40, like an hour and 15 minutes and then yep. yeah so it'll be interesting to see how it goes and hopefully there's more and it looks like he's he or somebody has started some kind of like event company yeah corona conscious events so Concerts and events, that's great. <laughs> yeah it, i mean know, it's great yeah yeah it's a good format you know you think about uh the city's checkered history with live outdoor music. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities for things to happen, you know, whether it's down at the Vanshell at Beacon Hill or some of the uh, electronic acts we've seen pop up around the city. Uh, this could be a good time for the return of the decentralized dance party as well. Who knows? Yeah, I do think it's interesting, like the reason, like obviously they have to do the announcing the venue shortly before so that people don't just go because right. it's outside. Mm -hmm. And um, so that it's probably to control the crowd. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah of course. So, so you anyway. think it wouldn't be like in a highly public place then? So, you know, it would prevent people from like walking by and seeing that, oh, there's an event happening. Correct. Yeah. So it'd absolutely. probably be like not out of it the way. It says the but... downtown Victoria area. Oh. But, you know, you think about uh, at the Fringe, some of the outdoor venues we've seen for shows down there, those little courtyards in Chinatown yeah. and stuff. Like, you never know where shows are going to pop up that you can control an audience. It'll be, uh, it'll, I think that'll be part of the charm of it, too. 
And Brianna, you've got, uh, you, you were talking earlier about the, the Coffee House Theatre. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes. So um, it's another Facebook festival that's coming up soon. Um, and, well, it's technically like a Vancouver thing. Um, it does include some uh, theatre students uh, from UVic. Uh, Sarah Khan is going to be directing. And uh, Jay Johnson is going to be uh, doing a play reading for the oh. festival. Yeah. And they're both so still good. Short play fest? Like, is that kind of the concept? Yeah. Um, starting on um, June 13th to, to July 25th, they're going to do uh, every Saturday, there's going to be uh, a new play on their Facebook page. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, and they're also donating. Uh, they're originally going to do, they're originally going to donate to uh, the Actors Fund of Canada. But all donations are now going to the Black Lives uh, Charter of Toronto. Oh, okay. Great. Great. So I think that's one of the charms of these online things is that, you know, like you say, it might be nominally based in Vancouver, but people can watch it from anywhere. Yeah. You know, if you need to check out something or something. <laughs> that's Plus, great. I think, what was that playwriting readings that Janet Munsell is doing? It's still yes. going on. Yes. Oh, yeah. The Canadian play thing. It's it's uh, going great guns. And Collectivist is still doing their uh, things on theater as well online. So there's still things happening in town. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I just hope that with the good weather coming that we'll start to see more of these outdoor events and that in the summer we'll start to see things actually going on. Yeah. Hopefully this will be the rainiest part of the, the season. <laughs> yeah. January, right? Yeah. That's what we call it. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, if you have any feedback, drop us a note. Uh, check the program, yyj at gmail.com. And let us know if you're planning anything that you'd, yeah. like, that you'd like us to talk about. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Check the Program. And so, yeah, thanks for listening. You can also catch us on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria on the third Monday of the month at 11 a.m. So thanks to CFUV 101.9 FM for, uh, for broadcasting our little podcast. We appreciate it. So until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm John Threlfall. I'm Brianna Bach. And don't forget to check, check the, the program. program. The greatest show. The greatest show you know. The program. Check the program. Check the program. It's called Check the Program. Check the program. Yeah. Check the program. The greatest show that you know. The program.